Mission Chats with John Crow. Welcome back. This is part two of my interview with Doug Barnett. And I'd encourage you to listen to episode 15 just to get the background of Doug's experience over the years in West Africa. And I think that'll help you understand a little bit of the context of what he shares in this episode. Hope you'll enjoy it. Well, Doug, I always love to hear uh, stories of people's experience. And I was wondering if you'd just take a minute and share how you saw God at work through your experience with missions. My favorite story is not a single one-time event, but the overriding narrative to my time in becoming a Christian and going overseas is God's glory was displayed in the answers to prayers along the way. Mm. When I started to grow as a Christian, first there was my prayer to get to Purdue, and God answered that. And then I got involved with what was then called Campus Crusade and is now called Crew. And I went through their 10 steps of how to grow as a Christian. And I began to be discipled by an individual from my church. And he taught me about prayer. And a number of the biographies about WEC missionaries influenced me. Sure including uh, one written by Reese Howells. And I was so taken with Reese's prayer life that I began to pray and fast every Sunday for a year. I was in communication with the missionaries that sent me the letters with prayer requests. I began a fast on a Saturday afternoon, wouldn't stop until Sunday evening. Sunday afternoon, I would literally hide in an attic with a Bible open and missionary letters and just pray for the situation there. And God eventually led me to pray for Senegal and specific areas in Senegal until one day, it's like God opened up the heavens and Mm -hmm. poured out his spirit on me. Mm -hmm. I felt like whatever I asked God on that day, he was going to grant me. So I asked him for all these places in Senegal because I was in ag economics. Mm-hmm. I asked that they would start an agricultural project in the area where I had lived in Senegal, covering a hundred by hundred square mile area. Mm-hmm. I prayed for Cote d'Ivoire and Mali and Niger, and I just kind of put my whole hand on the map of West Africa. And I prayed that he would get me a job there. And I prayed that he would help me find a wife. I prayed that he would bring souls. So I did that for a year, and that came to an end. And I had another year uh, before my studies ended. And as my studies were coming to an end, um, I began to apply for jobs that would get me back to Senegal. But I was turned down. Okay. And I said, oh, Lord, I'm so sorry. If you don't want me to go to Senegal, okay, that's fine. And then I learned from a man who had come in to Purdue about an opening in, in Abidjan. So I wrote a letter, sent in my CV, and mailed it to the AID office in Abidjan. One week, two weeks, you know, it takes a while to get there. But after six weeks, you know, well, I don't know, nice try, but nothing goes. Right. One afternoon, I got a call from the International Agriculture Program at Purdue, and they said, Doug, Gordon Evans from USAID Abidjan is coming to Purdue, and he has asked to see you. Oh, wow. Just what did you do? <laughs> yeah, right. And I nearly fell out of my chair. So he came into my graduate student office. We had a 20-minute interview. And I had this incredible job laid at my feet to go to Abidjan and be this junior ag economist. Mm -hmm. And I got to travel all over West Africa. And everywhere I went, it was an introduction to missions in West Africa Mm -hmm. because I would go and work on the agriculture project. But I'd also go to church on Sunday in that country. and I would meet Mm -hmm. fellow believers, either Africans or missionaries. Mm -hmm. 
And after that, my time was coming to an end. And I said, Lord, I want to go to, to seminary, but only three weeks and I'm going to leave and I don't know where I'm going to go. Can you please give me some direction? At five o'clock in the morning, the next day, I got a call from Biola University offering me this teaching job. Right. Wow. When I was in Amazon, I had been batching it in Africa for about 10 years and okay. getting yeah. there in my mid-30s. And I say, Lord, I'd really like to get married. I go up to Senegal for this uh, 82,000 conference. I'm not sleeping too well the night before the meeting. And I say, you get up and I pray and I say, Lord, I've been in Africa all this year. <laughs> if you wanted to, Lord, tomorrow I could find the person who would become my wife. Mm. I'm not telling you to do it. I'm just letting you know I have the faith that you could make that happen. The next day was when I met Sharon. I had forgotten about that prayer. Mm -hmm. I was so occupied that day. But it was a day or two later that I realized I actually prayed for that. So my life in Africa was one long answer to prayer. Right. Yeah. And I believe that 30 years was set in motion by the year that I took in fasting mm -hmm. prayer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a great challenge. And I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know that was what was going to be the outworking of it. And one of the most beautiful parts of that is I prayed for this 100 by 100 square mile project right there yeah. in the peanut basin. And I had kind of forgotten about that. Well, unbeknownst to me, World Vision had gone up and started work in Senegal. And where did they put their project? Right in the area I had prayed for. <laughs> That's great. And then on top of it, God, in his grace, invited me to go work in Senegal and see the fruit of that prayer in the form of this project where they were putting in wells and getting sheep and goats and helping people with cereal production and health project right in the zone I had prayed for. Yeah, that's uh, beautiful. I am not a miracle maker. All I did was prayed and God hmm. grew these things. That's my favorite story is, yeah. is God's answer to my prayers. Yeah. No, that's great. Thank you, Doug. Sure appreciate a, a wonderful reminder of the power of prayer. And I guess one little kind of side question that comes to mind as I was listening to your story, you know, you talked about tent making and clearly you've had uh, some wonderful experience there. And I think, you know, in the modern missions world as well, there's there's definitely a push to see how people can go into certain places of the world where they wouldn't go in as traditional missionaries. And yet coming in with a skill and, and working a job is a way to get your foot in the door, as it were. I've always been a little interested to know how that works in reality. And it sounds like in your case, while you're working a day job, it was your evenings that you had available. And I guess your weekends maybe as well to, to kind of do the ministry focus pieces. Is that a clear understanding? That's a pretty good summary of it. At, at one point, I came up with a, a threefold category of tent makers for today. Okay. One is the apostolic church planting tent maker like Paul was. Mm -hmm. Paul, as a tent maker, mm -hmm. was a church planter, right. and he was self-employed, so he could sort of pick and choose his own hours. The second category is someone who may have a day job, but he sort of avoids the international expatriate community, but integrates with the culture of the of the country he lives in right. or she lives okay. in. Gets involved with the church and, and devotes all his time and effort there. Hmm. Category three was the international worker who was employed by a company or an embassy, and they're interested in knowing the culture, but they may not learn the foreign language, but they might go to an international church, they might get to know missionaries that are locally, sort of limited outreach, or they would reach out to people within their sphere of employment. I've seen all three categories of there over time. Mm -hmm. 
Um, there were people that came in, especially in a restricted access country, they would start up a, an English speaking school or they would uh, run a travel agency, but their time was their own and you know they, they made contact as they needed to. Right. Then a category two person like me, I had a nine to five job. Mm-hmm. But I spent my other hours, you know, with God's people and, and reaching out to the lost there. And then the category three, that is the international businessman or corporate employee. Right. And they stay mostly in the expatriate community, but, you know, they, they make some efforts to, mm-hmm. to get out. Okay. Yeah. No, that's great. A good way to break it down and help us understand the the different ways of tent making. So thank you. That's good. And it, it helped for me to be single for as long as I was. I didn't have children to to be concerned about mm-hmm. until much later. So I, I could have a busy schedule at work as well as um, a busy schedule in ministry. Mm-hmm. Then to be honest, Tunisia made as much reference to that, but mm-hmm. that was a much different situation. And I went up there thinking, oh man, you know, I've got 20 years of Africa behind me. I speak French. It'd be <laughs> great. And it turned out to be very much a different place. Right. Even though French was a national language or is a national language of Tunisia, the Tunisian dialect, the Derja, is much more important. And it's mm-hmm. a, an Arabic is a very difficult language to learn. Mm-hmm. So we had to adjust going from very much of a interactive ministry with the citizens of the country right. to sort of being a more of a support mm-hmm. to missionaries who could speak the language. Right. That mm-hmm. was a little harder to adjust to because uh, you, you really miss that interaction with the nationals. But we opened up our house to be a school for expatriate children. And we had a kind of an afternoon club where some of the expat kids could kind of feel comfortable with each other. And we got involved with an international church there. So there I, I kind of went from a tier two to a tier three tent maker. Sure. The tent making was not well known at the time. And right. I started my tent making in an, a country open to the gospel. And I can't say that I was very well received by the missionaries at first. Okay. And I eventually understood that I had the label of being independent Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because I wasn't under a mission agency. I understand accountability. And most of the time I was accountable to the the Africans or some of the missionaries that I was able to do projects with. Mm -hmm. Now, I didn't have member care, although once in a while, some older person, you know, they'd ask, how are you doing? And my church back in the U.S. would contact me from time to time, and they were supportive of me in, in, in that. But there wasn't really a, an avenue or venue for member care. Right, sure. Um, I did once or twice seek out counsel from the pastor of international church. Mm-hmm. So being an independent tent maker, you know, you've got to work out member care. You really need to work out having a prayer team for you. And I, and I had a lot of Africans pray, praying for us, and I had people back in the U.S. praying for me. But in the last couple of years, uh, that sort of stopped. And and I think we felt the difference. Sure. I'm really not sure that I would recommend going out as I did. The the young guy who didn't know anything about missions, and I ended up going to Africa because I want to go to Africa. Right. And the African churches were very good at taking care of me. But I sometimes think I could have done more or done things a little differently if, if I'd had a little bit more of a team mentality or um, or under a mission agency. Right. Oh, that's great. I appreciate your, your honesty on that topic. So thank you. So thinking back through all this uh, wealth of experience, how would you describe missions? Missions is basically being used by God to help fulfill the great commission. 
Now, in a more practical sense, it means whether you are near or far that you're doing it in a cross-cultural context. Hmm. So the 21st century missions today for me would mean that you're being used of God to help fulfill the Great Commission. But what that really translates to is doing it Mm cross-culturally, whether overseas or at home with international students or Mm -hmm. the international community of the area that you live in, or uh, in a certain sense, even going into a new neighborhood Mm -hmm. in a large city. I like that concept of it being a cross-cultural thing. And I think that's one of the beautiful things about modern world is even if you can't physically be elsewhere, uh, there are opportunities and ways to connect with people. To kind of wrap up, I just wanted to to hear from you how you would uh, encourage someone who's considering getting involved in missions. And I think for this particular conversation, I'd love to pick your brain a little bit on how you would help someone who's considering tent making in, in particular. As I was a growing Christian in the 70s, Ruth Siemens had written one of the first books of modern-day tent-making based on her time as a secretary working for a company somewhere in Latin America. And at the same time, she was sort of a volunteer staff within her varsity. And and that was inspirational. But since then, so much more attention has been given to tent-making. And Christy Wilson, I think, wrote a book on this, on his time as a teacher in Afghanistan. Hmm. I would also fold in some of my personal experience growing up as a child, which I think is important. And that is, I had the opportunity or privilege of when I grew up in San Francisco to be in a very um, ethnically diverse neighborhood. Mm-hmm. I had a lot of Asian friends. We all went to the same school. So cross-cultural for me was part of my childhood. Yeah. Yeah. And when I actually went off to college, kind of a white suburban Davis, I felt a little out of my element. But doesn't matter how you grew up, but if you're mm. in college now, get to know international students. For sure, yeah. Get alongside them, understand them, be friends with them. And so I joined the African Student Club at Purdue University. Okay. At the time, short-term overseas missions were not such a big thing. Mm-hmm. It's certainly good to go on those, mm-hmm. but you you get such a tiny snapshot in a one or two week overseas mission trip. Right. It'd be much better if you could get a two or three month internship during the summer like you can if you go to a Christian university. The other thing that prepared me was my time with Campus Crusade as a college student. I learned how to share the gospel. Sure. We were obliged to go out and share the four spiritual laws, the okay. little, yeah. little booklet. Yep. And I learned difficulties and some people's openness. And, you know, sometimes on, on campus, you witness to a Muslim or people who don't care and, the, and people in the fraternity. And, and another time we stood there and handed out New Testaments on campus and to see people's reaction to it. You know, some say thank you and others right. kind of want it. And, and you kind of realize people are living in a different world. They don't know the, the, the spiritual world that God has to offer and and the abundant life, the joy that you get from being here. So be involved in a ministry that involves some hard, hands-down sharing of the gospel. I can't say that one formula is going to work for everybody. Right. But I was a very hungry Christian. I had no background, so church was nothing familiar to me. But I was so hungry and thirsty that God gave me that discipline to fast and pray for a year. And I'm not sure there's many Christian college students today who will do that. You want to be serious with God, consider devoting yourself to a time of fasting and prayer in a healthy way to, to really seek his face and, and pour out your concerns to him for another part of the world. 
Right. Sure. Yeah, I think that's one of the lost spiritual disciplines in our modern, fast-paced world, committing time like that to prayer. Well, Doug, thank you so much. It's been a blessing to, to hear your story and just to spend this time together. And thank you for all you've shared and the many years of experience and the wisdom you've gained through that. I trust it'll be a blessing uh, to those who listen and a challenge too, even in the, the concept of taking time to pray and fast is, is a good challenge, I think, in our world today. So thanks for that too. Well, thank you, John. And of course, you know, everybody likes to tell a story. So yeah. thank you for that opportunity. My pleasure. Thank you. But in, in the end, glory to God. Amen. It's really his story. As always, thanks so much for listening. And I hope this episode was encouraging to you. And I just encourage you again, if you could uh, share this with people who you think might be interested in the content of these Mission Chats, that would be much appreciated. You can do that through our website at missionchats.com or just share through the podcast platform that you prefer to use. Thanks again. Find us online at missionchats.com.